I wish you could see what I see. I wish you could all sit up there just for a minute and just kind of look out at yourselves. Hmm. We get to come in and out of this room, and it's changed in a couple of days. Even though a lot of you are new to retreat, there's a certain kind of stillness and sweetness I even feel. Yeah, maybe you can get a sense of that, um, the way you felt when you came in, and then more and more parts of ourselves begin to arrive as uh, the nervous system unwinds. You know, usually um, I move through the world pretty quick with my body, and then I catch up with my body on retreat in a certain way. Usually there's some bills to pay, you know, there's some rectifying that has to happen that I've been uh, avoiding in a certain way, yeah. Hmm. I was trying to think about what to share after Noah and then Joanna. And I guess uh, what I landed on was this, uh, this love affair that we have going with awakening, with uh, freedom, with happiness, with liberation, however you frame it. But I see it as a love affair. And I want you to... When I look back on my path and uh, the poignant moments and the pivots where I, uh, certain things become uh, known to me, I would say, like little insights I've had, it's mostly been with people, sometimes they've been teachers, but sometimes it's just people I walked by and there was a certain smile on a guy's face once that really moved me, uh, an ease about himself that made me... Uh, practice harder because I, I had a, a longing for that kind of, hmm. the statue back there reminds me of it. The statue, I believe that posture is called royal ease, you know, when she's, she's just chilling, you know. <laughs> I'm reaching for that, you know. So I'm inspired, you know. So I'm going to say like 200 things, and if you connect with like one or two, killer. That's what I'm shooting for. As reflecting on the path I took to get to this room. Super zigzaggy. No GPS. <laughs> All around the world and I, 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 you know? Hmm. I want you to reflect on, I want you to reflect on that for yourself. <laughs> Not Lisa Stansfield, <laughs> but your own path here. Like, really, just, just kind of reflect on it. All the different things, because this is not usually people's first stop. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, I know I want to go get with myself and just go be silent and go on a mountain and be, you know, just, just dig myself. You know, like, that's, that's not where we start. We try pretty much everything before we come here. <laughs> so I want you to just remember all the different modalities you learned. I mean, cats were in Dianetics, cats were buying Tony Robbins tapes, cats were, you know, all of it, right? Just reflect on that for a second. Like the great, ridiculous shit you did to try to find happiness, right? Yeah. I mean, it's endless, man. Like, 
as if reflecting on like, yeah, man, so many moments in my life I felt like, nah, this is it. This is the jam right here. This mullet that I'm rocking. And this, I'm killing it, son. And this is going to kill it forever. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but I know some of y'all had perms and you were like, that's right. How you like me now, you know? Think about even the partners you chose, right? Not so funny. <laughs> and I thought, like, this is it. Man, maybe this is my jam right here. Wow. All the weird stuff we did to try to be happy. Right? Wow. I got tattoos to prove it. You know? It's good to have a sense of humor about this stuff. About our journey, you know? We could take this stuff really, really seriously and super personally. Like some people are mad right now that I just dissed Tony Robbins. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just say, no, nah, but that's my man, you know? <laughs> Big shout out. I love the dude. And here we are. But there's a lot of moments I thought, this is it. Even in meditation, you know, we get to that calm, peaceful state, that connectedness, and it's like, yo, this is it. It's like, nah, man, this is this. This is this. Every time. This feeling that, ah, I'm going to feel like this forever. It's so compelling. I feel it all the time. You know, like even it's gotten really cold, right? And I was just like, it's never been hot. You know, I was just driving up. It's like, it's fucking freezing up here, man. Like, I can't teach under these conditions. This is bullshit. <laughs> I was sweating four hours ago. But there's a way that the mind just kind of like, this is it, man. This sucks. Mm. I'm thinking about all the pleasure, you know? All, all the ways that I sought happiness through sense pleasures. and um, You know, if that worked, we would have already been fulfilled. Right? Like we would have. I mean, just consider the piles of sense pleasures you've enjoyed. If they led to satisfaction, we'd be satiated somewhere. You know, I understand this practice a little bit. For me, it's like a practice of coming back. You know, my mind wanders, I come back. I, I start leaning towards some other moment, I try to come back. So it's like this constant arrival. Because there's so many moments of my life that I think that some other moment is going to be just better. You know, I think it's going to hold what this one doesn't. I'm always trying to find what's missing. And, and after 20 years of sitting with that reflection, the only thing I've come up with is what's missing is my presence because I'm postponing my arrival for then. That's when I'll arrive. That's when I'll really kind of dig in. That's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll whatever. You know, fill in the blank, right? Mm. 
you know, I hear some of my teachers, like uh, I read this guy, Nisargadatta, you know, and he talks about, uh, he said, the problem is not desire, it's that your desires are too small. And that's a really dangerous statement to somebody like me that really has tried to fulfill myself uh, with the, the sense pleasures of this world. You know, I'm really like a, a pleasure fiend. You know, I've, the travel and the food and the sex, whatever. Like I've tried to really do it through those, uh, meeting those conditions, setting up those perfect conditions so I could be happy. You know, when I came to the path and they started talking to me about attachment and renunciation, and uh, it was really hard to not want what I want. I want what I want. You know? Because that's what it felt like. They were like, no, 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 don't want that. It's just like, y'all don't want that? You know, I tried to be really the ideal, you know. I tried to, like, just wear white and eat vegetables and be, be nice and stuff. <laughs> it felt very forced. It was really... <laughs> William Blake said, Those who restrain desire do so because theirs is weak enough to be restrained. So I was trying to figure out how to be in this whole Buddhist realm and be Italian. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even the Dalai Lama, he, you know, he told this story recently where he was going to a conference in New York, you know. He had to drive through Times Square where there's all these electronic stores. And uh, he said, you know, it was f- f- cool the first day or two, but by like the second or third day, he was like pressed up against the window just looking at, he said, he's like, I wanted things and I didn't even know what they were. <laughs> the Dalai Lama. So how do we respond to this wanting mind and what do we really want? So I look at all the steps, you know, like when I, uh, the first like book I ever read, I think was uh, the, it was really bad. I mean, it was perfect for where I was at. It was, you know, I, yeah, I won't say what it is because the guy's still alive. But, uh, but it helped me. And what I mean to say is that all steps on the path are valid, you know, because they let us hear. So, you know, like, it's so easy to dismiss everything we did before this because this is the real shit. And I, I think that's an arrogant view. You know, I think like, if this is helpful, I find that super helpful, so I keep coming here. Um, But I see like those steps, that was like a baby step, and maybe it was even sideways, but it was a step for me. And so I like to kind of honor that. Yeah. And I look back now, I'm like, wow, that was so like new agey and, you know, very, very rudimentary kind of, language and uh, concepts and it's like man that's I guess that's what I I really needed Mm. so I sit here listening to these talks in the last couple nights Mm -hmm. Noah and Joanna were talking about this wisdom aspect of the path Noah started telling us how much of a relief it is that it's it's not our fault that it's not us it's the the system that's 
really, really, uh, that there's always going to be this pain. It's not that we're bad at living. And I get that sense of relief. Joanna uh, asks us to really conserve our energy for uh, what really matters, right? What, What do we have jurisdiction over, right? It reminded me of one of my favorite Hafiz poems. He writes, My dear, is it true that your mind is sometimes like a battering ram? running all through the city, shouting so madly, inside and out, about the 10,000 things that do not matter. So I know what it is to major in the minor, you know? And I think I did it sometimes as, as an escape, as an avoidance, because if we could work on these little things, I won't have to look at the big things. Mm-hmm. So, bold strokes. It's not our fault. Focus on things that matter. Mm-hmm. So, I guess this talk is uh, trying to convince you that you already care very deeply about what's going on here. You know, like uh, in a compassionate way. You know, a lot of what we're doing here is trying to marry wisdom and compassion. These two wings of this bird is how they talk about it. And we want those things to be balanced. And I think we have a lot of it in us already. Like if we didn't care, like deeply, things wouldn't bother us so much, right? It's because we care, right? That we have this vested interest in our our happiness. It's a sign of love, as Nisargadatta might say, a sign of love that we bear for ourselves. I mean, we don't get upset about the things we don't care about. At the bottom of every frustration is a deep care. I like to um, keep that in mind as the world is endlessly frustrating, right? People are endlessly frustrating. Conditions. I'm sure there's parents in the room. Hmm. I just became one about 10 weeks ago. Hmm. I could imagine um, what's coming my way. I mean, I I actually can't imagine, (laughs) right? Because we care so much and I'm sure they make decisions that bewilder us, right? Frustrate us because we love them and we want the best for them. It makes complete sense to me. I mean, why else would you be here if you didn't care? You know, this is not a place to come for people that don't care. Like it really is an acknowledgement of a a deep caring for me. That's how I see it. Uh, You know, most teachers teach through um, whatever uh, insights they came through, right? So um, if we're talking about wisdom and compassion, I'm definitely on the compassion side of understanding. That's what's led me to whatever peace I have. 
you know, the, these, this wisdom and compassion, you can see it in every moment of our practice because it's always present. The wisdom is knowing what's happening and the compassion is the heart that it's received with. So there's always these two components. Do we know what's happening? How is it being held? Right? The activist in us knows how deeply we care as well. You know, what's the old saying? If you're not pissed off, you're not paying attention. So there's a way that uh, we come in with a lot of compassion or care and uh, love and uh, all kinds of things that we don't maybe recognize. So there's a lot of passion there that we want to kind of mine, that we want to be able to see clearly. You know, when we do the interviews and uh, we talk to yogis all the time, uh, there's a, a longing to be loving and kind and caring. And we see it all the time that it's already there. And we're like trying to mirror back what we see. That it's already, always already all there. It's hard to convince people though, you know? You know, we have our stories about how we should be. And every now and then, you know, quite often, um, I read poetry a lot. Wasn't a high value in my neighborhood, but, <laughs> but I, I find myself sometimes uh, f- full of fear and doubt, you know, like, like anybody, I think, you know, where I feel alone in the world in some way, something happens and I'll kind of reach for like oh, something that will help me reconnect with my heart of hearts to remind me that there's a great heart underneath whatever's happening right now, bro. Hmm. Yeah, if you've been on retreat with me, you've probably heard this. Hmm. hmm. It's uh, called a prayer for the children. We pray for the children who sneak popsicles before supper, who erase holes in math workbooks, who could never find their shoes. And we pray for those who stare at photographers from behind barbed wire, who can't bound down the street in a new pair of shoes, who never counted potatoes, who are born in places where we wouldn't be caught dead, who never go to the circus, who live in an X-rated world. We pray for children who bring us sticky kisses and fistfuls of dandelions, who hug us in a hurry and forget their lunch money. And we pray for those who never get dessert, who have no safe blanket to drag behind them, who watch their parents watch them die, who can't find any bread to steal, who don't have any rooms to clean up, whose pictures are on anybody's dresser and whose monsters are real. And we pray for children who spend all their allowance before Tuesday, who throw tantrums in the grocery store and pick at their food, who like ghost stories and who shoves dirty clothes under the bed, who never rinse out the tub and who gets visits from the tooth fairy who don't like to be kissed in front of the carpool, who squirm in church and scream in the phone, whose tears we sometimes laugh at and whose smiles can make us cry. And we pray for those whose nightmares come in the daytime, who will eat anything, who have never seen a dentist, who aren't spoiled by anybody, who go to bed hungry and cry themselves to sleep, who live and move, but have no being. We pray for children who want to be carried and for those who must, who we never give up on, and for those that don't get a second chance, for those we smother and for those who will grab the hand of anybody kind enough to offer it.
It connects me back into what I care about. It allows me to rest in the great heart of compassion that just naturally arises. Right? I'm not doing that. We don't have to uh, find that. That's naturally occurring when the caring and open heart pay attention to what is hard. And so we get a chance to like tenderize ourselves with these kind of words and try to bring that kind of care when we're struggling. And we struggle all the time. We struggle with how we should be, how things should be, how the people around us should be. Like it's like, okay, how do we keep meeting ourselves with that kind of friendliness that we've been practicing in the afternoons? How do we keep coming back? Because uh, it's easy to get lost in stories. The narratives sometimes can be so compelling that I forget what's important. And so the practice is to continue to come back and remember. Sometimes we act like we have no relatives. So our hearts are alive and well. Sometimes the practice is so strange. I was just, so I told you I have this newborn and I don't have, my time is not my own anymore. I thought that was a cool concept before I had him. <laughs> I did, I was like, yeah, the Vinny show has been killer, but it's almost ready to jump the shark. So maybe, you know, huddle around something else selfless you know like I've devoted my whole life to myself and you know my loved ones but this would be a selfless service and he is not going anywhere <laughs> so my wife uh, you know we went down to Santa Cruz uh, last weekend and she said hey why don't you take a couple hours you know go Go dig yourself. And so I went to the beach, you know, and I was chilling in the sand, you know, and I had like an hour and a half, and I, I sat there, you know. And the waves were crashing, I was practicing a bit, and it was like, oh, I remember this. And then almost like a, just a little whisper, it began like that, just a little tap on my shoulder, like, yo, yo, hold up, man, but wait, uh, how about this? How about that? No, 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 but you actually have to do that right now. Like you should get up. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting in like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And the mind that doesn't know peace is just like activated. Now, I get to say how much authority that has, whether it has the authority to animate me or not. But I was fucking assailed by this kind of tapping on the shoulder. You're like, yo, 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 come on, man, come on. Yo, 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 so many things to do. Mm. I didn't have to get up. I, I know that voice pretty well. But I was so insistent, you know? Really amazing. You know, if you have a sense of humor about it, it's just like, I did not go to the beach alone. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? Right? Wow. Hmm. So how do we keep coming back and focusing on what's in our jurisdiction? What is our purview? What can we affect? What do we really, really want? So I think the practice is the way I do that. That's my answer. To keep coming back to what's important and to stop 
the war that goes on inside me sometimes. You know, are we caring about the right things? As Hafiz said, are we running around screaming about the 10,000 things that do not matter? Hmm. Hmm. Um, me and my wife have a really beautiful relationship. I'm, uh, I'm so blessed. And she, mm, we stretch each other as relationships do. And now with the baby, forget it, you know? I mean, it's really, really stretched, you know, <laughs> around the resources and energy and the help and the service. It is, it is, um, it's a lot. And uh, it doesn't feel hard though, because there's love there. So there's not even a, a moment's hesitation when she asks me to do something. It's just like, oh cool, however I can help, you know? Like it, when love is there, anything is possible. You know that feeling, right? Hmm. So we bring that into our practice. And when that kind of care is there, we can almost be with anything. There can be like, um, I worked with anxiety a lot in my own person, in my own body. And sometimes that felt hard to care about. You know, that I just wanted it to go away. And so how do we, when we're feeling activated in some way, how do we, or if we're in grief, or if, you know, whatever we're working with, whatever is working us, how do we surround ourselves with that kind of care and say, all right, when love is there, anything is possible. I can bear these sensations. The story is much harder to bear, but the sensations, uh, I can usually tend to them with quite a lot of kindness. Without love, everything seems kind of like a pain in the ass, right? Like, oh, this again. Oh, what else do you want me to do? You know, like there's a, a way that we could orient to our practice and ourselves as though it's a, you know, it's kind of an adversarial relationship. And it's just something to get through, this get through mentality. You know, once I get through this retreat, then uh, I'll be cool, you know. <laughs> then, um, you know, I'll, yeah. You know, I just got back from Santa Cruz. I was on vacation for a few days. And I came back exhausted because the baby, he likes to party. <laughs> he don't give a shit. He wants to watch the sun come up every night, you know? He's just about it. So all these ideas I had about like how loving or caring or, you know, whatever, it was just like, oh yeah, but I didn't know I was gonna be tired for like a year or two. Like I thought I was gonna be working with 100% Vinny. Like I could show up for things, you know? But I feel like I'm driving home for Burning Man for the last 10 weeks. <laughs> What is going on, dude? <laughs> so, we get back to this wisdom and compassion and the way they balance each other out, right? They balance each other out. They need each other. We need to have a clear understanding of what's going on. We need to understand... If it was just compassion, that would just uh, devolve into sentimentality. It wouldn't be so helpful. We need the stabilizing aspects of like wisdom and equanimity and some of the other kind of uh, structure, you could say, that helps us hold this beautiful heart. It helps us know what to focus on, what to put our care in where to put our chips, you could say. You know, but I, I, I come 
through a bunch of different paths. And one of them was just like, yo, man, don't, you know, it's all love. Everything is all love. And I was like, I don't know how to be that. I don't know how to do that. I need a way to kind of understand. And that's why the, uh, this path is so perfectly laid out for someone like me. Hmm. Hmm. I think about retreat, it's like we realize how long we've been, been on autopilot, right? It's like a way of like, okay, the last time I remember this was nine months ago at my last retreat. Where have I been? What have I been doing? Who's been driving? You know, like, so we, we have this longing for embodiment that I, I hear a lot and I feel it and I have it. And I think that's really beautiful. You know, in, on some level, I think all of this is just a backdrop to connect in with ourselves. And um, when I look at it like that, through that lens of understanding that we all just want to come home, it gives me a lot more kind of uh, it helps me with my understanding of why people are doing what they're doing. I'm easily perplexed by actions, by people's actions. I, I really want to understand, and that helps me understand. Hmm. So we come up on these hillsides and we try to step out of the charade of ego, of personality, even for a moment, right? Hmm. Noah spoke about this natural radiance of the unobscured heart. I love that. And there's all these weather systems that move through and cloud up the sun, right? I mean, they move through the atmosphere and it can feel like, uh, man, I can't, rem I can't remember that there's a blazing sun behind there right now. I'm sure many of you have heard this story of this uh, golden Buddha and you know they had it in Thailand this huge clay not so refined but big and uh, it cracked and, and so they started to repair it and as they picked away a little bit they noticed that it was shining back as they hit it with the flashlights and try to fix it. And as they took the, made the crack wider, they realized that this whole thing was made out of gold. The gold Buddha, huge, worth, you know, priceless. And they found out that, you know, whatever, a hundred years before that, a neighboring army was coming, so the monks covered it all up and left. They knew that they would steal the statue if it was gold, so they put the clay on top of it. And it's just so the story of us. Like, what did we have to do to make it through whatever we made it through? What armor did we have to put on to protect ourselves? And do we remember our own value? That's the part. You know, do we remember or do we start relating to ourselves as the armor, as to self-protection? Hmm. This is how we become estranged from our own hearts. So this idea that there's a, a basic goodness under here 
that's untarnishable, that you can't fuck it up. This has carried me through a lot of difficult moments when I forgot my own value. So how do we keep coming back when we get lost in these kind of stories of separation, this this self-protection, I'll call it? How do we nourish ourselves when, when we find ourselves uh, in a moment? Uh, hmm. I mean, just think about everything you've been through the last couple of days, all the stories, all the memories, all the plans, all the, the challenges, all the you know, moments of uh, spaciousness, right? It's all been here, all of it. And maybe there's been some moments that it all kind of fell away and there was just some space. Maybe some sweetness in there. Maybe everything just felt perfect for a moment, you know? That it all belonged. How do we let those moments nourish us, like deeply? How do we recognize peace and space, you know, from the constant narrative that uh, many of us live our lives in? These moments are like a, a waking up, really. We wake up to this feeling that we are presence. But it's so easy to orient toward things instead of space, right? You ask somebody how the meditation was and they tell you all of the things, all the objects that they came into contact with. They don't really talk about the space. Even this room, you look at this room and you're like, yeah, it's 100 people. And it's like 50 times more space than people. But we don't really see it because it's the water we swim in. So how do we start orienting towards space instead of objects? Even for, you know, just some of our practice. How does that change our practice? We start seeing the gaps. Even when we're not breathing, there's like a gap in between the in-breath and the out-breath. There's all that is space. So we don't recognize space. One teacher said, he goes, look, I don't know what it is, but this ain't it. Right? He just, he, he was just really clear that that this was not it. Juanat Diaz, he said, the half-life of love is forever. Very sweet. I think the practice continually asks us, what kind of lover are you? You know? Like, what kind of lover are you? Like, can you imagine if we were in a relationship and you said, you know, as long as you act exactly how I want you to, I'm going to be here. I'll totally show up for the relationship. Imagine your wedding vows. Because <laughs> that's how a lot of us, like, you know, treat the practice. It's like, oh, wow, as long as it's like a certain way, then I'll show up for it. But if it's going to be off. <laughs> then I'm going to take my cushion and go home. 
takes courage, as uh, Oscar Wilde, it takes great courage to see the world in all its tainted glory and still love it. I mean, that's what makes love uh, a courageous act. If love was just lovable, then that's not a stretch. That's just common sense. And it's like, yeah, I would love something that's lovable. That doesn't make you a great lover. We have to be honest about why we practice. You know, we all have to answer that question on some level to ourselves of like, what does it mean that this is working? Or what does it mean that it's not working? Like, what is that? So how do we orient toward the practice? You know, toward these hearts that we continually doubt that they're not going to be loving enough or caring enough or we forget about them, you know? One guy wrote, he says, don't meditate to fix yourself, to heal yourself, to improve yourself, or to redeem yourself. Rather, do it as an act of love, of deep, warm friendship to yourself. In this way, there's no longer any need for the subtle aggression of self-improvement for the endless guilt of not doing enough. It offers the possibility of an end to the ceaseless round of trying so hard that wraps so many people's lives in a knot. Instead, there is now meditation as an act of love. How endlessly delightful and encouraging. And we just get to spend time with ourselves and care about ourselves and try to see clearly what's happening. What is this? I mean, there are people that train like many, many hours a day for like really wild things, right? Like Navy SEALs and stuff, right? They're training like 14 hours a day. There's people like, uh, you know, hunting and martial arts and there's a thousand ways to like spend our time, right? And people train super hard for what they love. So how hard are we willing to reach for this? You know, we say like this is the most important thing maybe. I know I do. And it's like, I um, just because it's our natural radiance of the unobscured heart doesn't mean that we don't have to work hard. Doesn't mean that we don't have to train hard to train the mind, to train the heart. So what are you willing to do for love? Because that's the way it comes up in my mind. You know, we've applied almost a monastic discipline to meeting our pursuit of happiness, right? So what if we came at practice with the same vigor, the same kind of energy, you know, that we did with making money or looking good or finding partners or any of the other ways that we try to make ourselves happy. You know, if we spent a quarter of the time we did on our computer or our phones or on social media practicing, we'd be enlightened already. We would. You know we would. You know, I have a couple more poems, but I think there may be enough words. You understand where I'm coming from? You get what I'm trying to lay down? Cool. Yeah. I appreciate your time and attention. I, I think they're like our greatest gifts. And I hope I haven't wasted either of them. We'll sit for a moment.
Wrap yourself up with that love as much as possible. So it's time to take a walk under those stars. And you know, sometimes when I do walking practice, I'll imagine that I'm walking with my best friend, you know? And try to bring that kind of heart to it, you know? Looking up at the stars and pointing at things and just really smiling. Yeah. yeah. We back in at nine o'clock. <laughs>